Did I did I give you permission to grab those clips? Or Special Agent Paul? Because it's in the public <laughs> domain, you just feel you can have your way with me. All this stupid this was, stuff I said. This was my favorite because we really had a special agent from the FBI on, yes. and you had to call him. Special Agent Paul? <laughs> <laughs> His first name was Paul, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We've had some interesting people on the air. I'm always amazed. Yeah. And some not interesting ones, too. I mean, well. You know, both, it, all kinds. <laughs> it It balances out. It balances out. And I don't know about you. I want to feel good about things uh, for the first time in a couple of years. But between, you know, Jordana's ongoing sickness, uh, her leukemia, that's weighing heavily on my mind. What's happening in Ukraine? Sorry, it's it's hard for me to have a great day when, when there are men, women, children dying indiscriminately, standing in line for bread, yeah. cowering in a... Uh, there was a theater basement, a, a thousand Ukrainians hiding, uh, seeking shelter from missiles. And they even spelled out, you know, children. So f- from above, Russian fighter jets would not bomb them. But guess what? They got they got bombed. And many of the people did, in fact, survive. But again, again if you go on social media, it's just so depressing what's happening right now in Ukraine. Nobody wants a world war, and I think a lot of people are are grappling with what do we do? Do we send them food, send them arms, send them missiles? Do we keep ramping that up and hope that over time Ukraine can grind down the Russian army and eventually they'll look for a face-saving way to exit? I hope that's the case. So I want to tell you something that happened yesterday, St. Patty's Day, that uh, made me do a double take. President Biden said that Vladimir Putin is a murderous dictator and a pure thug. Uh, And what's interesting to me, Biden made these remarks at the Friends of Ireland luncheon yesterday. Here's what he had to say. Now you have Ireland and uh, Great Britain. Uh, standing together against a murderous dictator, a pure thug who is waging an immoral war against the people of Ukraine. Okay, so that nothing ambivalent about that, right? Doesn't leave too much to the imagination. Murderous dictator and a pure thug, which I'm sure, you know, made him feel good saying that. Is it going to help the process I don't know. I doubt it. Is Putin going to dig his heels in even deeper? We'll see. A couple of things that caught my eye about what's happening in Ukraine. 58% of Russians apparently support Putin's actions in Ukraine, according to some of the latest polling. Uh, Many expert analysts in this nation and in other NATO nations say that Putin is less of a politician and, in fact, more of a thug, a gangster, wearing a tie. He presides over a militarized mafia state. No freedom in Russia, certainly no freedom of expression. You go out, you protest, you're going to be beaten and thrown in jail. Um, No freedom of opposing views on media. It's just one view the state's view, Putin's view, the Kremlin's view. U.S. intelligence estimates over 7,000 Russian troops have been killed in Ukraine 
in three weeks of fighting. It's not going the way they thought it would, apparently. They thought it would be a blitzkrieg. In and out, quickly decapitate uh, Zelensky, install their own puppet thug in Kiev, who would give deference to Putin and Russia and refuse to align with NATO and provide that buffer zone that apparently Russia feels they deserve or need with Ukraine. I've seen different numbers, anywhere from three to five Russian generals are among the dead who showed up in person in Ukraine for morale and wound up dead. Between 14 and 21,000 soldiers, Russian soldiers, are estimated to be injured. Secretary of State Antony Blinken warned that Russia appears to be considering using chemical weapons and then trying to blame the ensuing destruction on Ukraine. The other thing I couldn't help but notice, uh, we'll wait and see. I think China is at an inflection point. President Biden, President Xi from China had a discussion today. Uh, We'll see if uh, China supports Russia with arms, with political support, and bolsters the flailing Russian force right now bogged down in Ukraine, or if China does the right thing. But there will be repercussions and possibly sanctions on China if they choose to throw their hat in the lot with Russia. That remains to be seen. Uh, did you know that Putin uses Botox, apparently? Really? Yeah. Like to, you know, make his cheeks look better Just or something? Just to make himself look younger and mm. smooth, you know, smoother skin. Yeah, okay. Apparently, uh, and I didn't even know this, and I'm discovering stuff I really did not want to know about Vladimir Putin, but he's famous for his rumored reliance on Botox. And he's going to be cut off from the popular wrinkle treatment (laughs) thanks to his invasion, his war against Ukraine. U.S. drug maker AbbVie, which owns the cosmetic medicine, announced it's halting all operations inside Russia as a result of Putin's invasion. The company grows a, uh, joins a growing list of pharmaceutical companies running for the exits after Moscow's senseless war. Almost 400 companies in the United States have shut off operations in Russia. So uh, we'll keep you posted. Anything new on Ukraine? In the meantime, more incidents of racism, this time in Adina. What do we do about this? What can what should we be doing? We talked to a couple of people on the front line combating racism in our schools uh, when we come back on CCO. Paul Douglas back with you. Hope your Friday is going well. The sun is out. It's going to be a nice weekend. DJ producing today. You okay, DJ? I know you're pretending to work. What are you trying? Trying to get some stuff done. No, I'm great. You know, it's a little warmer today. I uh, took the Christmas lights down, cleared off the roof a little bit, swept off the driveway. Wait, you just took your Christmas lights down? We we took our lights down in mid January. Well, Paul, they haven't been on since mid January. But I I don't go on the roof when it's icy and snowy to take them down. I think it's unsafe. I think it's negligent. I I don't think you should have. Okay, but you've already put yours up for next year already. That's the problem. Actually, my my Christmas. (laughs) tree is still up okay it's still up and it's lit up and we love it embarrassing it makes us happy we can't be friends anymore (laughs) it's gonna be 60 on sunday 64 i think it looks it's even nicer the twinkling white lights yeah that's wrong all right 
I'm I'm stalling here because this this story is maddening about what happened in Edina. Hundreds of Edina high school students, you may have heard about this. They walked out of school late yesterday, right before dismissal, uh, in protest of this racist video. And people say, well, here we go again. Uh, Edina added to a, a growing list of towns that have been dealing with racism. Prior Lake and Minnetonka and New Prague. It's, but, but again, it, it's like a virus. I, I think it's everywhere. The virus of discrimination, the virus of racism. And what do we do? What, how do we inoculate ourselves and our kids from being racist? Lavish Mack and Courtney Armhorst work with the nonprofit Minnesota Justice Coalition. They've been supporting students, providing advice and counseling during these incidents of racism. And both Lavish and Courtney are joining us right now on CCO on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Welcome, you two. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Courtney, you with us? Hi, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, what did you tell uh, students and parents who left class early yesterday to protest this horrific video? If you, and I don't even know if the video is online. I hope it's not. But the Nazi salute and, and you know, the, uh, the Asian accent. And I, I don't know if just kids think they're being funny, but it's, it's hurtful and it's destructive. And I'm wondering, what do you say to young people and their parents when these kinds of horrible events take place? I'll start off real quick by just saying that racism is taught. Nobody is born racist. Nobody is born with a prejudiced bone in their body. Nobody is. A, there's no two-year-old that doesn't like black people. There's no five-year-old that doesn't like Mexicans. You know, there's no... There's, there's a certain time and point where the racism from other people is taught to us. That being said... Going to an institution such as a pub school in America, you are being taught to be racist. The public school to prison pipeline is so prevalent. The long hallways, the brick buildings, the, the, the structured format of being told when and how to do things. So even just being in a public school, you're, that alone is teaching you that racism. So it's in the school and it's in the parents. Um, it, 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 it's, you know, I feel like at one point, there'll be a generation that doesn't get taught this racism and it'll just be a slow, a slow progress. But, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be worse before it gets better. I think. Courtney, what, what do you make of this? And, and what did you counsel the students and their parents? What did you tell them? You know, when I got a chance to speak with them, you know, we come with a lot of energy. We come there to support them a hundred percent in everything that they're doing, um, giving them a platform, giving them a, people to listen to and know that there's a community behind them there to support them. Right. Um, so I really just, if there's anything that I tell them, I tell them to keep pushing. I say, I say mm. pressure bursts pipes and you apply this pressure and you stand up for what you believe in it. And I promise you at the end of the day, you have a community behind you and there will be change. It may be slow and it may be annoying, but if you keep up the pressure just at like prior, like we kept up pressure and the superintendent quit. You exactly. keep up pressure and, you know, people that are racist can't handle the heat. So they leave or they are no longer able to be racist in their schools. So 
you slowly build a safer community for these kids. And if that's, if that's all that I can give to them, it's support and it's to let them know, like, you are free to say something and stand up. You are allowed to. Don't let them suppress you. Courtney. Absolutely. And Lavish, I'm just curious. Okay, the superintendent quit, but what will change? And and how does this become organic and grassroots mm-hmm. where where kids, maybe they, they pick this up from friends outside of school or older brothers, friends, whatever. Again, to mm-hmm. me, it, it's like a virus. How do we mm-hmm. vaccinate ourselves from the virus of racism? Yeah, I love that you said that the, it's a virus of racism. And, you know, clearly countries and people they know how to deal with epidemics so it's not that we don't know how it's the willingness when you have like a second class society which is black people in america and you can completely profit off the destruction of these black bodies why would you fix the epidemic so the root problem we understand the root problem so it's not how but it's the willingness it's the why would these institutions that that benefit off of black suffering or of colored or of women suffering why would they why would they want to make that change? You know what I mean? So um, like she said, it's just pressure. It's just consistency. It's just doing the work over and over and over and over again. So, right. I think it's just I think it's just a huge part of, you know, the, if we call if we say that the institution is is is. Um, filled with this virus, it's going to take, you know, th- there's a huge black community, there's maybe not a huge, but there's a decent community of BIPOC students and schools get their funding from these BIPOC students. So if we realize that if we stand up and say, this does not happen in our school as students, and then we get teachers on our backs who say, yeah, 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 you're right. This is not right. You're no longer able to be racist in this environment. So we kill that. We, we, we vaccinate ourselves by, standing up and saying no not here and i'm going to embarrass you and i'm going to show your true colors if you're going to be racist here because it's not happening here in our school should there be a a level playing field of punishment in other words not leave it up to the whims of whatever superintendent Mm -hmm. thinks i mean i i believe in accountability if you Mm -hmm. do if you do something wrong first of all it should be public i don't care if you're a minor it should be Mm -hmm. public Absolutely. And, and you, Absolutely. you should bear the consequences of your actions. And mm-hmm. I, I respect people's privacy, but if, if it's a racist taunt, I'm sorry, you've, you've lost that privilege. Yeah, I think uh, it's, real, it's a... I'll oh, go ahead. No, just real quick, and then you can go, because I know what you're about to say. But um, just real quick, I think it's really schools taking the, taking the initiative and saying, you know what, if we really, really don't handle racism in our school, we don't deal with it, we don't it's not accepted here, then, for example, like Prior Lake, they haven't gone through their policies and procedures since 2012. Well, mm, it's a little past the due date. It's time to go through them and revise and say, what is the actual punishment for for racist things? Let's sit down and talk. Let's sit down and actually look at it and do the work to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. Go ahead, Lavish. And part of that work looks like what we've been accomplishing here with Minnesota Justice Coalition, as well as Representative Jeff Hansen, um, out of uh, Savage Area, Lake Shakopee, which is getting these laws, putting bills on the House floor. Um, a couple of bills, a package that we just put through, Safe From Hate. You can look it up. It has, it has laws in there that are giving policy. So how do we act when this happens? 25% of the time, one out of four times, when there is a bullying incident, it is provoked racially. 
So it's not that they, once again, not that they don't know how, because they have policies for sexual harassment. They have policy for bullying. They have policies in place. They just don't do it when it comes to racism. For what is the reason? A racist institution. So we have put forward four new laws. They have landed on the Minnesota State House floor um, about three weeks ago. So safe from hate bill. That's what the work looks like. Having policies and procedures set in place so that this doesn't continue to happen, so that there is maybe not necessarily a mandatory minimum, but there, there's a punishment that we all know will happen if X, Y, Z racist antics occur. Should this- yeah, but it goes along with, like, finding, um, finding schools, like, that don't meet their yearly policy, like yearly check-ins, and you guys, you know, you didn't update, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, so we're looking yeah. at putting a fine on you, you know, making it more so that you have to stay with your policy. You have to update your things, and you have to follow it. But again, parents need to be stepping up, too, right? I mean, schools can only do so much. I mean, doesn't doesn't learning how to not be a racist, doesn't that start at home with mom and dad telling you what is right and wrong? Yes, exactly. and that's, that's one that's, thing. That's, that's one. That's, that's one thing that I, I, you know, I said, I've said once, and I've said before. You know, it starts in your home, but the school is enabling the behavior. You know, it, when, for example, if you tell if if you had a little kid who is learning about drugs in school, they're learning about alcohol and drugs and smoking cigarettes and how it's bad in school, and you know, it's bad for you. When you go home and your mom smokes a cigarette, you're like, "Hey, mom, that's bad." So. If we can change how it is in school from a young age to realize, like, we can't be racist, just by chance we could get those kids to come home and say, no, 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 mom, we love black and brown bodies. No, 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 that's racist, you know, and we can try and change their point of view as well. But it does start at the home and parents need to be better human beings. The golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Good grief. Lavish Mac, Courtney Armbors, thank you for the discussion. We'll keep it going. Minnesota Justice Coalition, hope you get more traction with the schools and with parents. Uh, we can all do a better job of uh, Absolutely. Eradicating, eradicating this virus. Thank you both. Thank you thank so you. much. Have a good one. Bless. You too. When we come back... <laughs> Something that actually made me happy today. I was looking at a list of the creepiest professions, and somehow meteorologists did okay. Uh, where are you on that list when we come back on CCO? Well, why are you playing that? Huh? I don't know. Are you, are you suggesting we cancel this song? I don't know. I don't know. Is it okay to play this song? I don't know. Will somebody be upset if we talk about legs? Maybe. seen some bad legs. <laughs> you, you keep talking about legs for the rest of the segment? I could, we could, what is, that might be the best segment we do. It <laughs> <laughs> might generate the most engagement. Um, what is the creepiest <laughs> profession you know of? <laughs> Speaking of bad legs. A friend of mine was wearing shorts for the first time. Today? No, a, a couple days ago. We are at a bonfire and he's wearing shorts because it's oh. warm. And I go, wow, those legs haven't seen the daylight in a while. <laughs> <laughs> put on some sunglasses or what? <laughs> Pretty much. Really? Turn that okay. down. Sorry, we're not talking about legs. We're talking about, uh, <laughs> I, I saw, this was a TED Talk. What makes a person creepy? Talking about legs. A psych- <laughs> Starting a segment Shoot. talking about legs. That, that pretty much nails it, yeah. <laughs> and what are some of the creepiest professions? 
Researchers apparently have, have identified many things. Unpredictable laughter, pale skin, unkept hair that people tend to find unsettling in other human beings. You know, there, there's always some guy, and it's usually a guy, uh, who people say, wow, he's kind of weird. He's just, you know, a bit of a freak. He's a little creepy. Now, apparently, there's, there's scientific evidence from Knox College in Illinois, this whole notion of what is creepy. You want to know what the creepiest professions are? I do. Guess. I think you probably know, don't you? Well, yeah, I saw this you earlier. You saw this, okay. I did. But th- I think things having, I-, I would think things having to do with death uh, or clowns might be up there. Yeah, clowns are at the top. Okay. Taxidermists. Oh, yeah, sure. Sex shop owners. Sex shop owners. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And uh, funeral directors. Oh, okay. Are all kind of in the top five. Yeah. So death, a couple of those having to do with death, taxidermy, yeah. right? Creepy sex. Yeah. Yeah. Creep. Yeah. Yeah. The sex thing. Sex shop owner. Yeah. That's sleazy. Creepy. You want to know what the least creepy profession is in this stuff? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I do. Meteorologist. What? <laughs> I know. I was. How can that be? I was shocked too. Meteorologist, the least creepy profession. Okay. Which, <clears throat> which I don't understand. But um apparently creepiness is is apparently our reaction to not knowing it's evolutionary, not knowing whether we should be scared of mm. somebody. Yeah, okay. And apparently people who are attractive tend to come off as less creepy mm. than Maybe people who don't have supermodel looks. So what we're talking about here is the perception of creepiness, not whether those people are actually, are actually creepy, creepy yeah, and doing per- exactly. acting on it. It's just perception, which is very interesting because my guess is the people that are actually trying to do terrible things are taking great lengths to not appear creepy. Right. Which you talked about Putin getting Botox, right? He yeah. he knows this and he's trying to not appear creepy. Yeah. When it comes to creepiness, one important feature was attractiveness. Attractive people were deemed more trustworthy, whether they were Nobel laureates or criminals. So, again, I'm just I'm 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 not making this stuff up. It sounds like you're trying to compliment your own looks in like a very roundabout <laughs> way. No, meteorologists are the least I, creepy, and I, being attractive is part of that. I get this gig in spite of my looks. <laughs> Remember, I started in radio. I was fine with radio in college, and uh, had a little business just doing weather for radio stations. Yeah, television was a fluke. But um, anyway, but but some of the things that people look at when determining if somebody is creepy, if if you stand too close to other people. Greasy hair, a peculiar smile, bulging eyes, long fingers, bags under his or her eyes. If somebody is dressed oddly, somebody who's licking their lips frequently, wearing dirty clothes, laughing at weird, inappropriate times. (laughs) Okay. Maybe they're just socially inept, right? I mean, we all have people in our lives who do weird stuff. And we're perfect, right? Everybody else has problems. We are absolutely, yeah. Me- meteorologists, you're talking about meteorologists are perfect. No, I'm I, no. I mean, <laughs> just yeah. Oh my goodness! So again, I 
I question this study if if meteorologists are the least creepy because what a weird gig, right? We um, especially television meteorologists, you point to a green screen and you pretend there's a map there. Anyway, um, thought that was a little bit interesting. Again, the whole reason why we perceive people as creepy, our brains are trying to keep us safe. But um doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. When we come back, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week, Game Changers, brought to you by Thrivent. That's next on CCO. Trailblazers, rule breakers, role models, game changers. While Title IX opened the door for girls and women in education and sports, some took the opportunity to make history and create a lasting legacy both on the playing field and in the boardroom. Now let's feature one of them and her story with Paul and Jordana. This is Game Changers on News Talk 830 WCCO. Proudly presented by Thrivent, a Fortune 500 financial services organization championing female leaders. Paul Douglas here. This is one of my favorite times of the entire week when we get to talk about game changers. And specifically, uh, I'm here at this hour with Kelly Baker, Executive Vice President, Chief Human Resource Officer at Thriving. That's an impressive title. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I I hear that you really like basketball. You like hoops, and your entire family eats and breathes and sleeps hoops, right? Yeah, that actually is 100% correct. Just about everyone in my family, except me, um, is a very talented athlete, and basketball is a particularly important sport to our family. Well, tell us a little bit about Title IX and how that impacted you and your career and got you to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so I will tell you, when I think about Title IX, um, I I will tell you the first thing I think about is um, the importance of Title IX to my daughter um, and the way that she has been able to grow and thrive as as a young adult. Um, I will tell you, um, she was a huge basketball player all through, you know, from second grade through college, um, huge basketball player. And I watched her grow and I watched the impact that athletics had on her life from directing the team to being a captain on the team and everything in between. How that helped her turn into the leader that she is today has been absolutely incredible. Uh, and she's actually a varsity coach at a local high school here. And I watch her now in that leadership position. And I am grateful for all of the trailblazers that have come far ahead of her and far ahead of me um, that brought Title IX um, into the fore and has turned her into a phenomenal young woman and a phenomenal Kelly, talk about the importance of, of great coaches. Yeah, you know, great coaches. Um, I uh, because we have such a connection to all athletics, literally, both of my sons, my daughter, and my husband, all phenomenal athletes, participated at very high levels in sports. I spent a lot of time in gyms, a lot of time on fields, and I will tell you the thing that has been I most admire um, throughout this process is the role of the coach, and in particular, the coach and the relationship that that coach had. Great coaches, by the way that they have with their players. Great coaches are able to see and, and thrive and, and 
um, foster individual talent and also look at how well that adds up. That's what every coaches do. And I admire that. I admire the relationships that they're able to build with their, with their players and knowing that that is not happening overnight. That trust Coaches are very focused on the individual athletes and helping get the best out of them. And I admire that so much because I, I literally have imported that into my own leadership style and how I hope to lead the team, which is very much focused on them um, versus just focused on me, but really trying to seek out that potential, that talent in every individual, really doing everything I can to foster that for the good of the team. And then ultimately, certainly in a company like Thrive-In for the good of the company. Kelly, what advice would you have? Uh, that glass ceiling, it's its still there, right? It's, it things, my, my sense is things are better um, based more on merit than other factors that none of us have any control over. What advice would you have for young women and young men uh, to maximize their potential based on your experience? I will tell you that, um, you know, first I just, I can't go without saying how much, uh, how grateful I am to be in an organization like Thriven, led by a phenomenal CEO who happens to be a woman, um, one of, I think it's 41 or 42 in the Fortune 500 today, and to be able to watch her navigate our organization and navigate um, a world um, where women are still far underrepresented um, um, at the top of, of companies, at the top of large corporations like ours. Um, so it's just, um, it's just been amazing. And it's been amazing um, to be able to support um, this initiative because of that. But the, but to your question, the advice that I would give young men and young women is first to lean into your passions and give, give it all, right? Give it all. That's on the court. That's in the classroom. That's uh, that's uh, that's in our workplace. Give it your all. That's the first thing I would tell you. The second thing I would tell you is do not limit yourself by what anyone else is telling you, and definitely don't limit yourself by looking up and around at who's come before you. We still have people trailblazing to this day, to this day. And so, what I, the advice I would give a young woman who's coming up, who who says they want to be CEO one day and looks around her organization and says, but I don't see any women in leadership. I would say, but you could be that woman in leadership. So don't limit yourself by what you see around you and on what you see ahead of you. That's great advice. And I would add, maybe avoid the naysayers. I mean, you have a choice in who you hang out with. Hang out with people who make you better and smarter and maybe know things that you don't. And the naysayers, I, you know, at least for me, keep my distance. This is not about me. This is about you. But uh, I'm very impressed. Anything else you'd like to tell listeners uh, yeah. to get them pumped up? You know what I what I would also, the advice I would give, not just the up-and-comers, but advice I would give to people that are in positions of power, people that have made it, people that are sitting at the top of the game, the top of their organization, the top of whatever, um, is never forget the role that you can play on widening the path for others to come through it. Um, be active. Don't be passive. Um, we are able to be here today. The Final Four is able to be here in Minneapolis here mm -hmm. in a few weeks because people that came before us worked really hard to widen the path so that women could step through it, so that many others could step through it. And so the advice I would give to certainly any leaders, what I'd say to anyone is don't sit back and be passive. Make You can make a difference. One person can make a difference. 
Absolutely. And you've done just that. Kelly Baker, Executive Vice President, Chief Human Resources Officer at Thrivent. Thank you so much. It really was an honor being with you today. Thank you so much. Honored to be asked to be here. You bet. And next week at 3.50, Kathy Thunheim is going to be joining us on CCO. Another game changer brought to you by Thrivent. Stay tuned. The latest CBS News and local news up next. <laughs>